Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking about situations where more than one person is an expert in their field, and how to avoid having too many cooks in the kitchen. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. Be right with you. The phrase, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, often means that there's a, a level of chaos caused by having too many people that all kind of know what they're doing or maybe specialized in their role. And this can come in a lot of scenarios or in a lot of ways and is especially prevalent in kitchens. When you have more than one person that is good at cooking, then they may want to give their own ideas or have their own processes and generally want to put their input in. And depending on the meal, this can be a good or a bad thing. When you're in a small kitchen with just a, a small meal, having more than one or two people operating on the same project can cause a lot of confusion and frustration because even though the meal may be a simple meal that has, you know, very few steps or orders to it, having more than one person generally means that everybody's going to have their own idea about what the best way to cook it or the best way to handle those order of operations is or may even have different processes that they would normally go through to make the same thing happen. And this can cause a lot of things like running into each other, where one person stepping left to get a pan, another person stepping right to get a spoon, and they run into each other and get upset with each other. And this is, you know, generally one of those things where as you increase the scale of the kitchen, there's a limit to what kind of your optimal number of cooks is. Because the statement is not, there's two cooks in the kitchen. The statement is there's too many, and what happens is that the, depending on the meal and the number of cooks, some meals and some kitchens, if you have one cook in a kitchen that is intended to serve hundreds of guests very rapidly, then you don't have enough cooks in the kitchen, and if you have five or six cooks in an apartment kitchen, then you probably have too many. And the, the, there's not really a hard and fast rule to this, but it's one of those things where the number of cooks is kind of dependent on the skill level of those individuals and how well they know the recipe or if they're all on the same page as far as the order of operations and the processes that go into it. And more than anything, this comes down to communication both before and during the, the process of cooking. If everybody knows that they're cooking the exact same thing and everybody has a role, then things can work out pretty well. If it's a multiple course meal and one person is working on salads, another person is working saute, another person is grilling, maybe somebody's working on a dessert for later, then everybody's got their own roles. But even beyond that, Depending on the style of kitchen, just because the roles are separated doesn't mean that those individuals aren't going to interfere with each other or possibly walk past each other at in inopportune times or bump into each other. Maybe you need to get a, a spoon from a drawer where somebody's standing in front of that drawer chopping vegetables. 
you don't want to just open that drawer while they're holding a knife and rapidly chopping an onion because they could cut themselves. And more so, if you don't announce your presence and that person turns around while holding a knife, they could accidentally cut you. Uh, the same thing goes for hot pans. And there's two key phrases that anybody cooking in any kitchen should communicate to everybody that they intend to be around. This includes uh, couples or friend gatherings all the way up to your larger kitchens. And that is stating your location and stating if what you're carrying is going to be dangerous in some way. So common, you know, vernacular for this is behind you hot. And that just means I'm carrying a hot pan and I'm going to walk behind you because you don't want to take that person's focus away from whatever they're doing, but you want to let them know that if they're going to take any actions to hold off for just a second or two while you get by them. So behind you hot and behind you sharp, or coming around sharp, coming around hot, as well as just behind you. Because even if you aren't carrying something dangerous, if that person recognizes that they have to make a sudden change, oh no, the saute pan, I'm, I'm chopping vegetables and the saute pan behind me is burning, or I'm not going to get to it in time to, you know, change something. Then if they rapidly turn around, they could just run into you, and that can be just as bad. You may not have a sharp object, but you may be carrying uh, a bunch of cut vegetables for a soup or need to get across the kitchen, and you don't want to run into each other. That's generally just a bad idea. So giving that warning is probably one of the most important things, and even if you don't like notice it, if you've ever just kind of bumped into people in a smaller kitchen, maybe you're cooking with a, a friend or a significant other, then you can see where the importance of just announcing your location is, stating where you are and what you intend to do, but without going on to a full sentence of, hey, I'm going to be coming around you in a second, and I'm carrying a hot pan. That's too much information for the person that's there to, to really need to process. It's, it's asking for their attention and, and recognizing that they are going to be pulling their focus away. You don't want to pull somebody's focus away from what they're doing because you don't want to cause them to, to make a mistake. So the shorter that you can make your statement, the better. And likewise... If you are the one chopping vegetables and somebody's coming around you, they say coming around hot, just giving some kind of callback, like anything as short as thanks or heard that is something that makes sure that you are responding, that you know that you are aware that they're, you're not going to make any sudden moves so that the other person can feel safe for continuing on what they're doing. This type of rapid and short communication is just as important in anything from, you know, you could see it in a battle, in any any kind of RPG, where you want to give quick callouts to what your location is going to be, what you intend to do. Now, of course, you don't need to say coming around sharp when you're carrying a sword behind a buddy on a battle map because they're not going to have a turn, <laughs> so they're not going to be able to move into you. But speeding up the process of your combat by announcing kind of quicker ideas for what you're going to be doing. And this comes down to, uh, like in Dungeons & Dragons, you have kind of six seconds per round. You can't say, uh, I want to attack this guy and then move over while you move over there to get him. And mage, we need a fireball. 
that's not enough that you don't have enough time to say all of that. And if you want to keep things kind of rapid and maybe more realistic or just faster paced, especially in larger groups, having some good call outs and knowing what you're going to say and what you're going to do before it's your turn is really important. Of course, combat changes very rapidly, uh, but so can things that happen in a kitchen. There's always going to be you, you know, your best laid plan can literally go up in smoke if you had the burner on too hot and the oil burned before you could put the chicken on it, you know? So keeping that in mind is just try to have an idea of what types of things you can say in six seconds or less. Uh, get him or I'm fine, take the other one is, are things that you can do, especially in situations where you want to reduce metagaming. And it's actually a good idea to think about what types of things your character would say. A lot of, uh, I see a lot of combats that go where nobody says anything. They just say, I want to strike this guy. They roll their dice. They strike. They maybe they do damage or miss. And then it's the next person. They say, I'm going to cast this. And the next person, you know, I'm going to do whatever. Having those conversations, those really short words, and even if they're not necessarily tactically important, like you know, get him, or I've got this one, is, you know, it can increase the flavor of your combat situation and, and allow you to actually roleplay in the middle of what's going on. Maybe you want to taunt an enemy, and while this may not have any actual rules as written effect, unless you're using a, a you know, a spell or something, you can still potentially influence your DM's decision on what enemies might try to do what if you're constantly taunting a person and are a big enough threat, that person may attack you. The DM may go, you know what, this guy is not going to take these insults. I'm going to focus my target on this one, even if normally his intent was maybe to go after the mage or something, right? So keeping in mind these kinds of callouts, I think, can really enrich an experience on the tabletop and save people from cuts and burns and bumps and bruises in the kitchen. Along with this, there is going back to the, kind of the idea of too many cooks. So too many skilled individuals in an environment and how that can go well when everybody's on the same page. And the amount of communication that it takes to get to a point where everything goes right starts before you're in the kitchen or before you're on the battlefield. Of course, again, I've seen very few, uh, it was Sun Tzu is no plan uh, survives contact with the enemy. Most D&D plans where the players all have a grand design that they're going to execute rarely makes it past the first couple of dice rolls before something goes upside down and players get, that's when the chaos starts. One bad roll, and the whole plan is shot, and now everybody's just got to think on their feet and running around and trying to, to pick up the pieces before the rest of the guards are alerted or the army comes at them or whatever the situation may be. So it's not just having a little bit of a plan. And a rigid plan we are all pretty certain won't survive, but a flexible plan and a flexible strategy can enhance things a lot and help turn orders go faster. 
it's not usual that every chef in a kitchen is carrying around a recipe, reading every line, with names assigned to each task on it. It is a flow of constant communication where everybody has a rough idea or a good understanding of what the end result is going to be, and then everybody just does their best with their personal skills to all work towards getting to that same end result the best way that they can while also helping their team. So instead of having a plan where the barbarian will rage and run in and kill this guard, and then the wizard will cast silence or blindness, and then the ranger is going to sneak over and get a sniper spot set up and try to take out this guy, have a more fluid plan where your end goal is in mind. And sometimes that end goal can be very simple, like we just need to get past all these guards. But sometimes that's a little bit too simple. Where do you want to end up if things go upside down? If things turn pear-shaped, where do all the characters need to meet up? Uh, If it's just a door on the other side, then that's pretty easy. But it may be that you have room to say, if something happens, back away from combat, get out of combat, and we will regroup on the southern end, and we'll wait for everybody to be there. That way, everybody's got an idea of if their roles break, or if something that they're trying to do doesn't work out, or the ranger gets to the sniper location and finds that there's already a sniper there set up. Uh, from the the enemy side, well, now they can't provide cover. Uh, And those types of situations are things where suddenly they have to think on the fly and go, well, if I can't get there and I need to move to another location, I know where I need to end up. So discussing with your party what the end goal is, instead of being a rigid goal like, well, we just need to get the artifact back, Break it into smaller pieces, okay? how? What exactly are we going to try to do to get it back? Are we going to go in sneakily, or are we going to go in guns blazing? And having a backup plan where maybe you switch from one to the other. If you go in guns blazing, there's a chance that things could overpower you, or your characters aren't in good locations. And taking the time to try to break out of combat, to distract your enemies and run and hide, is a totally acceptable like resolution that I don't see a lot of people keying into where you can break off from combat and get into a hidden location and force it into the opponent's hands where they now have to spend time looking for you and that could buy other characters time especially if multiple characters break off and go into hiding now you can switch locations you can try to ensure that maybe that sniper has to move now which is going to let the ranger get there so we're going to distract you, you. You know that you want that ranger in that spot. The whole team knows it. What they can do to help get them there is force the enemies to move. And sometimes that's exactly what you need to do to get everybody into the place where they need to be. And even though the plan is now somewhat you know, disrupted by the fact that you're in the middle of combat you can still kind of stick to it by having a looser idea of how you want things to go. And just thinking about that, you know, a lot of plans I see happen very rigidly, whereas instead a a looser plan will have a better chance of succeeding overall because you don't feel like, well, if we missed step two, then the whole plan's gone. 
And instead, if those steps are less rigid, then you have a better opportunity of feeling a little bit better about, hey, we made a plan and it worked instead of our super rigid plan had a failed dice roll on the second turn and now the whole thing's garbage and we never succeed our plans. Why do we plan anything at all? That's not really what you want to have happen. In a kitchen, you're not going to say, well, just because the oil burned, the whole dinner's ruined, everybody stop and never plan to cook ever again. It's probably something that you just have to deal with. Toss the oil out, wait for the pan to cool, and pick back up. You've only lost a minute of time. And you can probably make that up by doing other things. Likewise, you can also make up time when, or if you've made up time, you can offer that to somebody else, but that doesn't mean they have to take it. it. You may not really be in a position to help somebody else cut vegetables, or maybe that person is behind and does want your help. Again, communication is going to be key in getting things to work out. So something else that I kind of want to bring up, which is something that I don't have as much experience with, but it can be a situation that, that arises, I have had it happen a couple of times, which is where more than one person at the table has a really solid understanding of the rules and mechanics of a game, whether that be multiple players or even campaigns. I've been in a campaign with multiple DMs where there was, you know, like an evil party and a good party, and they were constantly working against each other, and you would have a, a DM for each side. There's a lot of other ways to do dual DMing or things like a, a junior DM where a person may be a player character but also be in the kind of on the side helping the DM develop certain things about the campaign. But really, all in all, it's supposed to be a group cooperative experience. And there's everybody's going to have a specialization, something that they're good at. Maybe that specialization is just playing their character really well. Maybe it's being a good DM. Maybe it's designing creatures or maps. Or maybe it's just organizing the party and getting everybody together. Maybe it's outside of the game, getting everybody to the same house and making sure that everybody knows that the date changed or the time changed this week. Making sure that you identify what people are good at, and then playing to those strengths is going to help you a lot more than getting into a situation where nobody knows what's going on, everybody's arriving at different times, you know, somebody forgot to bring soda, two people brought chips, what's going on, how can we, you know, why is this happening? Avoid all those frustrations. Just identify where people are, are good and then play to those strengths. And if somebody is not good at a certain thing, it's okay to either talk to that person about possibly improving and what you can do to help or switching roles. Maybe having somebody else organize things or showing up at a different person's house is going to be better overall to improve your experience. Switching platforms from uh, D&D Beyond, Roll20, or vice versa, or using any number of animated battleground maps, or switching to a Discord uh, bot all different types of things that you can use to, to leverage if somebody doesn't really feel like spending the time uh, doing one type of job, then, then that job can change. But the bigger problem that I've seen is when multiple people have kind of different styles of play or really 
I think it just comes down to like rules arguments. Rules arguments are one of those things where I've played, there are games that I've played, not just RPGs, but some tabletop games where I have read the same rule a hundred times and feel like I am, I am extra confident on how it works. And then I get into a game with maybe a new player or somebody that I've, you know, played with several times, but not and that rules never come up where they say, that's not how that works at all. And I go, yeah, it does read it. It, it works exactly like this. And they go, no, you need to read it because you're, you've misinterpreted this, you know, and there can be some back and forth. And suddenly I realize I have read that rule wrong for years, that years I have been playing it the wrong way, right? And I may have won games because of it. I may have lost games because of it, because I, you know, didn't play to a certain aspect of it. But getting into a rules argument is where you get to a point of like a too many cooks in the kitchen scenario. And this can go both ways. Uh, DMs can be wrong and players can be wrong. And I don't really think it's more one than the other in really any scenario. Um, And, you know, it can also come down to maybe a a longtime player has only ever had a homebrew DM who ignored a certain rule or never or played it differently, but never really told that new player that it played differently. Likewise, uh, having somebody that's more of a rules-as-written player coming in and saying, that's not how any of this works, you can't do any of those things, can be really disrupting for a dungeon master. And it can, it can be a scenario where you've got to learn your limits. You've got to learn when to be a cook in the kitchen and when not. If the rule in question is going to significantly change the outcome, then maybe ask for a discussion on it. Like, hey, can we talk about this real quick? Uh, otherwise, you may leave it up to, like we've discussed before, uh, allowing the DM. DM is going to have final say no matter what. And it can also come down to a dice roll. Well, can we roll for it and check back after combat? Of course, if it's going to be life or death of your character, it may be one of those things to say, hey, I've got one death save left, my character is at the end, but I think this is a rule that can take place. Can we stop to to verify it before everything goes upside down, you know, before my character is dead? Um, you may get your way, you may not, but knowing when to try to be the one to help out and, and what is helpful versus what could be disruptive is pretty key toward being a good player and a good DM, especially when there are new players involved. I think this is probably where the situation comes up the most because everyone wants to help this new player have the best experience that they can and to help them understand the rules of the game and and do things the right way and learn from their mistakes and others' mistakes what's best to, to do in any given situation. And in in those types of scenarios, it may not be a bad idea to say, hey, um, you know, while the DM may have the final ruling, selecting a person to be the mentor of the new player is probably, you know, going to go a lot further, especially if there's multiple new players at the table and multiple people that have a lot of experience playing. It can help a lot to say, 
to, to kind of party up mentors, right? Like you should mentor this player and I'm going to mentor that player. So for one, it keeps it from a situation where everybody's trying to mentor everyone all at once can become just overload for the person who's trying to learn because everybody's shouting different you know, rulings of the same rule or different concepts or ideas. And maybe they're talking to the other player and not them, and but you're still trying to get as much of that information in as you can. And a lot of times, this, this can come up, you can see it a lot with like character creation, where if you have three people trying to teach one person how to create a character, there's three different ways of how to create that character being thrown at somebody. Oh, you've got to start with your race and class first. No, you want to know what your backstory is first, and that'll teach you. No, you have to roll on the tables. No, you should make it up on your own. And instead, the the person that's suffering is the person that's trying to learn who you want to have a great time. Whereas if you have one mentor, even if their style is different than maybe what you would do, at, wait until after to say there's other ways of doing this but this is the way I do it and you know they may have walked you through this way maybe I would have done it that way but I think the it again comes back to having that end goal in mind where your end goal should not be to teach this player how to build characters perfectly your end goal should be ensuring that this new player has a good time and that's going to be a much easier goal to achieve and, again, will be something that can handle disruptions and things that you didn't expect a lot better than a rigid goal. And I think the goal should always be making sure that everybody has as much fun as humanly possible at the table and identifying when there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Um Nobody wants to be the one that steps down, but I guarantee you that if it comes to a situation where there's three people all trying to teach one person how to play, you probably, it's it's not a life or death situation. If you step away from that scenario and don't give your input, it's probably not going to ruin that player's experience. You just have to ask yourself, are they still going to have fun if I back out of this conversation? Are they going to have more fun if I join in and give a third perspective and another reading of a rule or another way to make their character? Or is it just going to take us 20 more minutes to get through rolling dice? You know, like it's okay to step back and realize that there's two other people that are confident and competent in their situation and able to help this person. And maybe even say and ask, two may still be too much. If you're the only one that steps down, is it still too much? That may be a situation where you go, hey, let's let one person teach this guy how to create characters. Maybe I'll teach them combat when it gets to that. Compromise. Communicate. Short, simple statements that identify what the situation is and what the potential pitfalls are. I think there's too many people trying to teach him the same thing. Maybe one of us take it or identify which person should take it. Of course, jumping in and trying to say you should take it may be a little bit rough, and you may have some luck with that one. But if you're the DM, it may work out too. Like, just say, hey, the DM should be in charge of, you know, helping the player generate their characters so they can fit them into the world, because that makes the most sense. Or maybe it's the person's best friend, the one that brought them to the group. 
hey, I, you know, they're probably more comfortable with me trying to teach them to create this character. Would you mind if I just, you know, take them aside for five or ten and get at least the stats part rolled through, and then we can allow somebody else to help them with their backstory or equipment? Identifying and knowing what rules you're good and comfortable with teaching somebody or just what this person's comfort level is going to be working with you versus someone else is going to go a long way toward ensuring, again, the end goal is to have as much fun as humanly possible. So strive for that and set that as your goal and try to realize and recognize when you're thinking your goal is just, I want to be right or my way is the best way to do it. Because just like in a kitchen, there are a million ways to make the same dish. And unless you are like a, even in my perspective, even if you are a Gordon Ramsay, just because that is the best way he knows how to make that dish doesn't mean that's going to be the best way for me to make that dish and enjoy it. Uh, There are a lot of professional chef recipes that I don't like. And I'm sure there's a lot of ways that I would cook that professional chefs would look down upon. But in the end, am I, I'm the one that's doing the cooking. I'm the one that's doing the eating. I want to make sure that I have the best experience possible. So, you know, there are going to be times where your way is the better way. But you do also have to weigh in the, the environment that you're in and when you think it is most optimal to kind of stand up and stand your ground for the way something's being done. I'm probably not going to stand up to Gordon Ramsay in his kitchen, uh, but if he came over for a dinner at my place and for some reason he wanted me to cook, uh, I probably wouldn't take very kindly to him suddenly jumping into my kitchen and trying to pick up knives and cut vegetables while I'm trying to enjoy an evening with my friends. Of course, he'd probably hate my wine choices as well, but Alas, that's not, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. What I mean is it's just, it's it's a good way to think is, is to look at the end goal and figure out what is it that you're trying to achieve, what's the best way to achieve it, and are there too many people here or are there not enough? Uh, if there are two people trying to create characters and only one person trying to teach both of them and they're at different points in the process, well, that can slow things down. And eventually, things probably will diverge. One player may is probably going to spend more time trying to identify their class, and another one may just want to start zipping through it. When that sort of desync starts to happen, then it's probably a great time to chime in and say, hey, do you mind if I help them? They're already kind of moving forward. I can get their equipment figured out while you finish up getting the class assignments done. This often comes to play when a spellcasting character, especially as a new player, is being created alongside of a non-spellcasting class that has fewer options, because it may not take very long for the fighter or the monk to decide what path they want to be on or what special you know fighting styles they want, whereas a, a first-level mage or cleric as a new player is going to have to learn a lot of spells and understand how spellcasting works and spell slots. And so there's going to be a lot more to explain before the game starts. And this same type of mentoring also applies to teaching new cooks how to cook. It's always a better idea to have one person telling and overseeing and explaining the process than it is to have two different people telling you which way that they prefer to 
julienne and onion at the same time. One person's trying to teach you how to grip the knife and the other person's trying to teach you, you know, which style of cut do you want to do. And you're going to overload the person with information. So again, just identifying who's the best to do the teaching at the moment, how many people are involved, and if it is best to have one person or multiple people tackle a certain task. There are so many examples of times where it can go wrong, but there's also plenty of examples of when things go right. When this you have your short style communication and everybody knows what the end goal is, and everyone is allowed the autonomy to deal with a situation that comes up that's unexpected in the way that they best know how, and they're in a role where they can maximize their own knowledge and abilities to help everybody get to the same goal, it can be amazing the types of things that you can create and do, the speed at which you get through dinner or combat, the deafness which you roll through a political, you know, intersection in a campaign where rough conversations have to be had to try to get past a certain threshold or convince the king to let a prisoner go or convince a guard to let you out of a prison cell. <laughs> but it can it can work really really well when you have everybody on the same page and everybody knows their role, knows what they're doing and nobody is challenging them to suddenly you become this kind of finely tuned, well-oiled machine that is able to accomplish what looked like the impossible before without any real, you know, trouble in the situation, without a giant snafu. And when you are able to pull that off, it is such an incredible experience and everybody can have a lot more fun. Everybody can relax a little bit more when there's, we decide that this kitchen is probably big enough for about two people. Those two people are, you know, we're going to pick the two that we want to cook this dish tonight. And then if they need help or look like they're struggling, maybe a third could pipe up to just move some things around or maybe wash dishes. That's always something that will never really be um, <laughs> looked down upon is if somebody wants to be the dishwasher for an evening. Whew, that's an amazing feeling. <laughs> but in the same way that you probably don't want your wizard being your close combat specialist, unless, of course, they're a close combat wizard, um, when there's a, a berserker or a barbarian that is able to take that role, having the right people in the right place, knowing what their role is, is going to go just such a long way. And, and not having these rigid plans, not having too many people trying to overtalk all at the same time, and just identify when those situations arise that it's okay to step back a little bit, take the time to analyze, listen to somebody else, and listen to what their ruling is on something, because maybe you have read it wrong for 10 years. I've been in that situation. I'm sure I'm not the only one. and Or somebody else may have been reading it wrong for 10 years, and that can be a touchy subject. You don't have to correct them just because you want to be right. Make sure that you're trying to correct them because you want them to have the best experience, not because you just want to be right about what the words in the rule book were, right? Like, it, it's really important to consider other people when you're trying to communicate these types of things, especially in a kitchen, especially at a, a game table. If you being right is more important than the meal tasting good, then maybe you should take the time to step back and 
not have to be right about it. It, it just because they cut the the onions crossways or chopped them instead of julianning them, if that's not really going to change the flavor of the meal because they're just cut up onions, then let it be. Same goes for rules. If it's going to mean that that person could very likely chop their fingers off, you might want to teach them how to do like a monkey paw grip and curl their knuckle knuckles in against a blade or to sharpen their knives before they use them. That's probably a little bit more important. <laughs> so I hope that some of this is uh, something that's kind of helped you along to identify when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, to know when you're one of those too many cooks and how to handle that situation, and also to identify when there's not enough, when somebody else may need to step up to help take over something or to offer their skills. Hey, I'm really good at chopping vegetables. If you want, I can take that over, get those done really quick, and you can focus on making sure that you don't burn the oil. Same thing for combat or at a tabletop. You know, just help communicate what you're good at, what you think you could help everyone out with. And if somebody's like, no, I really want to learn how to do this, even if I'm not great at it, I would prefer just doing this my way to, to try to have that experience and understanding for myself, then be okay with that. It's it's okay for a rule to be bent for a little bit and discuss it after the game rather than jumping in right there and going, that's actually not how you know material components work for spells. Just wait. It's probably not going to be that big a deal. Then after the game, be like, hey, you may want to look at this part where it talks about material components and how they operate. Anyway, I don't want to ramble too much. So with that, that's all for the episode today. Please let me know your thoughts. All of my social media links and contact information can be found on the card website in the show notes. If you're looking for more content, check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, a podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and longtime friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.